Welcome to Breitbart's News Daily. Thanks for being here. So we spent a lot of time on today's show talking about the 22nd anniversary of September 11th. And we shared some incredible stories. And I'll always share stories of courage because courage begets courage. And that's the virtue we need more of in our country than any other one, than any other virtue. We need them all. But courage is the one we need the most of. It's the one we're lacking the most. So I'll always share stories of heroism. And 9-11 is a great day to do that. So we shared the story of the 9-11 boat lift. We shared the story of United 93. These are are so good. Uh, We shared the story of Wells Crowther, the boy with the red bandana. So important. These stories, really, they're so important. Everyone needs to know them, and our kids need to know them forever. But I'm not going to play them here. I want to play the first segment we did. Why? Because I don't know what to do with it yet. I don't know what to do. I know what to do with the other stories. And if listen to SiriusXM, you can subscribe and listen to the whole podcast and find these stories. I don't know what to do with the, the stories I share in the opening, opening um, segment here. So I want to give them to you, and maybe you can come up with a better conclusion than me. My, my uh, email is slater at breitbart.com. Slater at breitbart.com. And I say also we need to make sure our kids know these stories because... 22 years ago was a long time. And we talk a little bit about that in this segment as well. Today is the 22nd anniversary of September 11th, 2001. Isn't that amazing? 22 years ago. Watching video from 9-11, this is, for me, this is the first year where it felt like it happened a long time ago. Meaning when when you see video of it, and it's a weird phenomenon. You may, your response, your response to what I just said, maybe it feel, to me, it feels like it was just yesterday. Yes. Yes, perhaps. But when you watch a video of it, the clothes people are wearing look like for the first time, look like a, from a different era. The fashion has changed. Hairstyles have changed. The cars look different. The police uniforms look different. The, the font on the storefronts in New York City, it, it looked at the camera footage is grainy. Are you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, fr- it's, it's from a different era. It's all, it's happened a long time ago. It feels, it looks like it happened a long time ago at least. You know, the 18 year old Marine was four years away from being born when 9 11 happened. Wasn't even close. I remember years ago, we were like, oh, you know, the 18 year old Marine was three years old when 9 11. No, no, the 18 year old Marine today wasn't even close to being born. The average drill sergeant is 30. So that means the average drill sergeant was eight on 9 11. So I say that because our military has nothing, like, there's no, our United States military has no connection with 9 11. Like the people in the military have no personal connection to 9 11. 
So when you watch it, when you look at it, it feels like a long time ago. But also in, in many ways, it feels like just yesterday, especially if you, were, if you had a close connection, especially if you were there. I want to tell the story of the red bandana in just a minute. But first, let me, let me get this off my chest because uh, I don't know what to make of these stories. I don't know what to do with these. Our sermon just yesterday in church was uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And that's such a great scripture. It's an interesting scripture because everyone wants to twist it into whatever they want it to be. They just take that scripture alone, like God wants me to have whatever I want and be happy. It's like, mm, you got to read, <laughs> read the whole chapter. Read, read everything up leading to that, and then the sentences after it to get the full meaning. So I'm going to share all these stories and it's like, wow, like why, why did it happen that way? And then you quickly go to the question of why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? That's where you go real quick. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there are no good people. That's the first thing. A bad thing only happened to a good person once and he volunteered for it. On my podcast, I can look it up here for exactly when I have a podcast called Politics by Faith. And and months ago, we did a whole two weeks on why bad things happen to good people. It can be tricky for Christians to answer. There's, there's a Christian answer to suffering. Every religion, every worldview has a different answer to it. This is just what 2,000 years of Christians have come to. And there are five points. Number one, God uses suffering to reveal our spiritual condition. God uses suffering to humble us. Uh, God uses suffering to draw us to him. God uses suffering to display his grace. And God uses suffering to, to, to perfect his power. Those are the five reasons why. I'm not going to give a sermon here, but we focused on that on my podcast. I just want people to know that there, there is an answer to that question. A lot of atheists will throw that out there as if that's like a, like a real stumper. Oh, it's an unanswerable thing. It's like, no, 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 there's an answer. 2,000 years of Christian thought have gone into coming up with an answer to that question. And as Dennis Prager said, the believer in God has to account for the existence of unjust suffering. It's true. The believer in God has to account for the existence of un unjust suffering. The atheist has to account for the existence of that and everything else. So that, that's a much higher, higher bar than just what the... Christian has to answer. Okay, here, here's some of the stories. Joseph Lott. Joseph Lott would always wear these, these crazy, bold art ties. Like ties with art on them. And he made it a game with his kids. He would put on a tie with a famous painting. And his kids would, would debate, is it a Van Gogh or a Monet? And he had these wild and crazy ties. It was this thing. So he's in New York, and he put on a green shirt. He's in a hotel room. Put on a green shirt before this meeting he had. He was actually speaking at this, this conference. But before the conference, he met up down in the lobby for some breakfast with colleagues who were also staying at the hotel. A coworker was on vacation the week before. And she was walking around and she found, she walked by a store that had a, a, a crazy tie in the window. 
So she bought it for her coworker. That's a funny, funny gift, right? And it was this red and blue, wild, crazy tie. And he was so touched that she did that for him. He decided to wear it in the presentation. The presentation was coming up in just a few hours. The problem was it clashed with his green shirt. So he's like, I'll tell you what, you guys go ahead. I'm going to run up to my hotel, up to my room. I'm going to change real quick. I'll meet you guys there. So he runs upstairs, goes to the, the room, changes his shirt. His colleagues went ahead to the meeting that was on the top of the World Trade Center 22 years ago today. When Joseph arrived at the lobby, he felt the building shake. He escaped. None of his colleagues survived. They were already on the top floor in the restaurant. Like that, that story, like so many things had to happen. What do you mean? Why would his coworker bought him a tie while she was on vacation? How did this coworker happen to walk down the street that had a store that had a tie in the window? Why did the storekeeper decide to put a crazy art tie, like a wild and crazy tie in the window at all so that she would happen to have seen it and then stop and buy it and bring it and then give it to him on that day? She didn't give it to him the day before, the night after, the week after, back when they got back to their official office. And then... He wore a green shirt. He decided to wear a green shirt. If he wore a white shirt, then he just would have put the tie on and it would have matched with the white shirt. But he decided to wake up that morning and wear a green shirt so that the tie didn't work, which caused him to go back. I was like, what in the world? That was 22 years ago today. And there's so many stories like that of people who escaped and also of people who died. Greg Hine was the director of catering for the Windows of the World restaurant. Director of catering. He stayed up late the night before on September 10th watching Monday Night Football. Stayed up late, slept in a bit, missed the 7-Eleven train that he usually takes, got the 743 train, got to work late. So his daughters were in school. The other kid said, yeah, there's, no, there's no way your, your dad's alive. And it took hours before she found out that he was alive because he was late to work. He missed the train because he watched Monday Night Football. None of the other employees of the restaurant survived except for one other employee, Beatrice Genoves. She was the only restaurant employee to survive on September 11th because the express elevator was out of service. So normally she'd be on the top floor greeting guests as they came up from the express elevator. But instead, she was told to greet guests on the 76th floor and help them transfer to, the, to a different elevator to make it up to the 107th floor. And the plane hit the 93rd floor. So she was able to make it out. What are the chances of all that? And keep in mind, this wasn't just any Monday Night Football game. The Monday Night Football game on September 10th was the Broncos versus the Giants. Which means a lot of New Yorkers were watching it late and got up late and were running behind on Tuesday. What are the chances 
that Beatrice was the one person who was chosen to help people get on the proper elevator. What are the chances that the elevator was broken and needed someone to do that? Who in the world? And then it goes, if the flip side too, right? There were 91 guests in the restaurant for different events. I forgot the conferences and stuff. Why wasn't your conference booked the day before? The conference you were at, the 91, so there's 91 families whose loved one happened to be at a conference on at the top floor of the World Trade Center on that day, on Tuesday. Why wasn't your conference on Monday? Why wasn't your conference on Wednesday? Because that means there's also a bunch of people who are living today who are like, oh, my conference was the next day. There were some renovations going on in a different part of the restaurant. Six men were working on the renovations. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were the plumbers or the tilers or whatever. But let's say they were the plumbers. Why did the plumbing need to get done on that day? Why wasn't it the drywall day? Why was it plumbing day on that day? So what do you do if you're the family of the plumber who happened to be working on a renovation on the top of the World Trade Center on that day. You see what I'm saying? There's tons of these stories. One of the chefs at the restaurant worked the night before. He was off that day. He drove his kid to school and then he went to the gym and he was on the treadmill and he was watching the TV and he called his friend who was working and they were talking. He was watching the TV. They were talking. And then he heard a crack and the phone lost connection. And then he looked up and on the TV, he saw the towers collapse. It was just the delay. Actually, there was another, I take it back. There was another employee who survived. The executive chef. He was working that morning. But he stopped to buy some sunglasses in the lobby of the World Trade Center. What, what, what do you mean? So that's the day he decided to buy some, some sunglasses that's, that stopped him for a couple minutes? So he stood in the street and watched. And he was able to see hit, hit people in his restaurant break the windows and wave tablecloths out for help. Those are his friends, his restaurant, his people waving from where he would have been if he's like, ah, you know what, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get sunglasses uh, after work. David Cravat, he survived September 11th because he's up on the, one of the top floors and a client of his was meeting with him and forgot her driver's license. So this person couldn't get past the security to get up to his floor. And normally... So he went down to go get her. Normally, he would have called his secretary to go down and let that person in. But the secretary was eight and a half months pregnant. So he did the gentlemanly thing and he went himself. He thought, of course, he was doing her a favor by not having her go down. But when he was on the ground floor, the plane hit. He survived. The secretary didn't. Monica O'Leary worked in HR for a company. She was laid off 
the night before. She was laid off the night before. Of course, worst thing that could ever happen. What do you like? Laid off from your job? That's awful. That's terrible. Laid off the night. She was laid off on September 10th and then rehired on September 12th because every other person who worked in HR for that company was killed. She wasn't even taken off payroll yet. Nicholas Reiner was supposed to be on one of the airplanes. But the night before, he twisted his ankle while hiking and missed the flight. Oh, what do you mean I missed the flight? Oh, how annoying. Now I got to, I got to, what, what am I going to do? I got to get another hotel and I'm going to miss the stuff to, oh, man, missed the flight. The comedian Seth MacFarlane, uh, family guy, stuff like that. He had a ticket on one of the planes, but the travel agent mistyped uh, his name on his itinerary. No, 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 mis- no, mistyped the time. Got the time wrong. And he didn't realize it until it, it was late, and he, he like rushed to the airport, airport, and he missed his flight, missed the flight, missed, missed the flight to catch it. And he, he would have been on it. The Pentagon, where that plane hit, was mostly empty because they just upgraded it to be a place where you needed the highest security. So it was, it was very well protected and, and mostly empty. There wasn't a lot of people who would access that part. So if, if the plane hit any other part, there would have been you know, 5,000 people in any given area. But there just weren't that many people in that area. Now the planes go the other way too. Jeremy Glick, his flight on September 10th from the Newark airport was delayed. So they switched him onto United 93. They put him on that plane. Like where's your where's your head at right now? When I, when I so the the guy one guy missed that flight. Ah. Oh. Another person missed the flight the day before uh, and they put him on United 93. There was a flight attendant, Betty Ong. She ended up working American Flight 11 because she wanted to go meet her sister uh, because they were going to meet and then they were going to go off to Hawaii together. So she's like, oh, let me, let me get on this other plane. Let me, I'm going I'm to get, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch shifts with someone so that I can take this plane, so that I can go meet my sister, so that we can go off together. So she switched on to this flight. Mike Orcola, he worked 24 years for the New York Fire Department. September 11th was his last day of work. And he didn't come home. What do you do, what do, you do with that? I don't know. I think about those every year, of course. I don't, know what to do with any of that. There are so many things I'm not sure of with that. So all I can do is speak to the thing I am sure of. That there is no guarantee for tomorrow. 
And I'm grateful to God for right now. And we can take we can learn that lesson from any tragedy. Tragedies happen all day, every day. My dad had a stroke, it was ten years ago. Everything was fine. You know what I mean? Everything's fine. And then he was playing with our dog on the floor of the house and had a stroke, boom, dead. There you go. Like everything's going fine. And then not, boom. Just like that. No, no warning. Not like, hey, um, you got one more week left to to live live. Got one more week to live. You got one more week until there's gonna be a really terrible car accident. Everyone will live, but it's gonna be, your whole life's gonna be completely different from this point forward. You don't get no warning for this stuff. Nothing ever. Something hurts. Like, ah, that's annoying. You wait a couple days, you go to the doctor, doctor gives terrible news. Like it's oh it's oh there's no going back. But we just do not live life knowing that. Like we all know that's true. We know that's true. We know that tragedies happen every day, all day, any day. We know you're not guaranteed. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. Yet we, yet we do not live like that. We, we, we don't. We know it, but we don't live like we know it. What is that? So things like that happen all the time. And I guess you can go a, different, a couple of different directions. You can talk about how like powerless you are in life or whatever. You take a pretty cynical view. Or you can know that that's true and you can still make choices. A couple of years ago, one of the fire department, NY, or FDNY uh, Academy classes, 13 of the graduates for people becoming firefighters, 13 of them were the children of firefighters who died on 9-11. Isn't that amazing? One one of these one was uh, their two brothers. Another was the son and a daughter of a nine eleven firefighter, who was killed. So these dads all died when they were babies, and they decided to live their life as firefighters too. Isn't that amazing? I love that. This is the story of. Beverly Eckert. Sean had warm brown eyes and dark curly hair, and uh, he was a good hugger. We met when we were only 16 at a high school dance. And when he died, we were 50. It was about 9.30 a.m. when he called, and he told me he was on the 105th floor, and he'd been trying to find a way out. And he told me that he, you know, he hadn't had any success, and now the stairwell was full of smoke. I asked if it hurt for him to breathe. And he paused for a moment and then said, no. He loved me enough to lie. We stopped talking about escape routes. And then we just began talking about all the happiness we shared during our lives together. I told him that I wanted to be there with him, tie with him. But he said, no, no, he wanted me to live a full life. As the smoke got thicker, he just kept whispering, I love you, over and over. I just wanted to crawl through the phone lines to him and hold him one last time. Then I heard a sharp crack, followed by the sound of, a, of an avalanche. It was the building beginning to collapse. I called his name. 
into the phone over and over. Then I just sat there, pressing the phone to my heart. I think about that last half hour with Sean all the time. I remember how I, I didn't want that day to end terrible as it was. I, I didn't want to go to sleep because as long as I was awake, it was still a day that I'd shared with Sean. You know, and he kissed me goodbye before leaving for work. I could still say that was just a little while ago. It was only this morning. And uh, looking back on all that has happened since he died and the causes I fought for and the, the things I've done, I, I just think of myself as living life for both of us now. And I like to think that Sean would be proud of me. Coming up next, will, uh, sorry, I gotta make one last thought. So will we live life today knowing that it is true there's no guarantee for tomorrow? We know it's true. There's no guarantee for tomorrow. But will we live life today as if that's true? Breitbart News Daily. Again, if you know what to do with those stories, where to put them, what box to put them in, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Slater at Breitbart.com. Uh, in this segment, I want to play an interview we did with Joe Cardinale from uh, the New York City Police Department Lieutenant. And he's also been one of the police officers, they, they, one of the go-to guys at Fox News for 21 years. And after this interview, he sent our producer, a text saying he's never shared that story before. There's the story of the police officer's uniform. It's at the end of this interview. He said he's never shared it ever. Never, never publicly shared in 21 years on Fox News. Never, never mentioned it. There it is. Mr. Cardinale, how are you, sir? Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Doing really good. And I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking some time with us to talk about 9 11. Um, it to me, this is the first year where it it looks like it happened a long time ago. When I was every year, I'll, I'll look at video of it, and the video is grainy, and the police cars look old, and the font on the buildings looks old, and people's fashion is different then than now. It it looks like it happened a long time ago, but I'm sure for you, uh, it still feels like yesterday. Oh, absolutely. Um... It's just, uh, I just can't believe it's uh, 22 years. And, I mean, that day uh, is etched in everybody's minds, and we're reminded about it every time we go for our our wellness check for the, uh, you know, World Trade Center uh, program that they have. And mm. we're reminded about it still to this day every time we lose somebody else, and it just happens. It's like almost a daily occurrence that we hear about somebody else dying from the effects of 9-11. So yeah, it seems old on the uh, on the films and the and the pictures, but it's like yesterday, and it's still etched in my mind and everybody else's mind. And I think about all the comrades I lost 
And especially, I have to mention, I have to mention the Vigiano brothers, John and Joe. Um, I mean, that, that to me is the epitome of sacrifice by any family. And I knew Joe, he was a character. He was, he was so much fun to be around. He's one, one of the gutsiest people I've ever met in my life. And that family suffered, suffered a double tragedy that just went on and on. I mean, if you listen to the interview, if anybody can go on YouTube and find, you know, the interview of the parents, um, of, you know, Jan and John Sr., it's just so heart-wrenching, and the composure that they had giving that interview just stays in my mind all the time. And Tell- then Joe Jr. now takes the helm for the father yep. in Truck 7, all right? And Kathleen Vigiano, his wife, is head of the Survivors of the Shield. So, you know, it continues, Mike. Tell, tell us, for those who don't know, the story of John and Joe, brother, two brothers, uh, police and fire, right? Police and fire. Joe was uh, Joe was in like three shootouts. Uh, he he was just amazing. And I, I had the occasion to work with him on different things. And like I said, he was such a character. <laughs> he was so much fun to be around. On the ice, you know, playing hockey or just, you know, being around him for the job, it was a lot of fun. And his brother, John, they were very close. They were very, very close. Uh, Joe had three children. John had two daughters. And, you know, John Sr. was was a fire captain. And it's just amazing. And uh, like I said, Joe Jr. took the helm by, you know, know, walking in his father's footsteps. And he's over in truck seven right now. Tell us about uh, the people. Tell us about the people like like John and Joe who run into, like it's just, it's, you know, you know, we, we hear, we've heard this before. They run to the danger, to the fire. But then, even more than that, there's the some people who go up and then back down and then back up again. They go up, down, and then back in again. You know, people just don't understand what it's like to be in, in you know, in public service like that. You know, cops run, firemen run to fires, cops run to shootings. All right, we run to the danger. And it's without question, all right, that cops do this. And that's exactly, Joe wouldn't have done anything different. There's no doubt in my mind. If he had a second thought about it, it was just going to that building and getting as many people out and rescuing as many people as he could, you know. And the same thing with his brother. It's all about, you know, uh, dedication and, and sacrifice and willing to put your life on the line for, for somebody, for strangers, you know, and that's exactly what happened. There were so many heroes that day. There were firefighters. There was Port Authority police. There was NYPD. There was EMS workers. There were the people in the building that were getting people out, all right, you know, escorting them out of the building and going back in. And, and the scenes and the stories you hear after that, and then the after effect of I, I worked up at the landfill where the uh, they brought all the, uh, you know, all the uh, – the uh, debris to be uh, gone through, you know, everybody had to go through that. It was on conveyor belts. And just, it went on for months after that. And it's just, you have to see the whole picture about this. People just don't understand. Years, 22 years later, some people may forget. We will never forget. And I hope New York will never forget. All right. And I hope the world never forgets because it's something that is 
taught somewhat, and I say somewhat in the uh, in the school books. All right, it's not taught the way it should be. I mean, because I I think they sugarcoat it. All right, and I think they uh, they put a lot of you know, it's like a masquerade uh, show in schools these days of what they teach. Yeah. But it's people have to understand the sacrifice that was made that day. All right, the sacrifices that were made that day. They have to understand the families that are still going through with it. Like Joe uh, Joe Jr. is now on the NYPD, and he grew up and he eulogized his father at the funeral, and that was heart wrenching. All right, I know uh, it was it was amazing how you know Commissioner Kirk went through a couple of things with it and spoke about it and had everybody laughing outside the church, but. People, people forget, and that's the that's the scary part, you know, that they just don't know about it. Mm. Well, we're saying, I mean, 22 years ago, we were talking about kids who are voting today, or 18-year-olds, they're not kids anymore. They were negative four when 9-11 happened. There are Marines who are 18 years old in boot camp right now. They were four years from being born, right? So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a different, a lot of time has passed. Uh, we're talking with Joe Cardinale, uh, retired New York City police department lieutenant uh, tell me real quick about the debris not real quick take, take your time tell me about the debris again so people had to go through all the debris yeah so that's the other side of this that you know they would take the debris from they knew it couldn't be done at the site i mean this was an undertaking like you never saw before sure. and the debris was brought by truck up to the landfill in Staten Island. Now, the first few days that we were up there, it was like a mass unit. They had army tents set up, and the ground was so hard over there that you know the methane. I I, I can see it like it was like it was like today. I can just see it in my mind. the The methane was bubbling. It was raining, and the, the methane was bubbling through the ground. Right. So that was the only place that they can, you know, do, take on uh, something of this magnitude. So in the days and months to come, that became like a city up there. They had the Red Cross up there. They had all the units up there. They had everything. They had earth movers up there. I mean, there were giant earth movers with pieces of rebar going through the tires. They had a, a unit up there that would just fix the tires. But they had conveyor belts. And, I, I you know, it, it's a little graphic sometimes to, no, no, no. to I want describe to know. this. But... but it's they had conveyor belts and the detectives. Now I'm talking about seasoned detectives that have been on the job for a long time and firefighters and everybody. They will go up there and you put on the Tyvek suits and you put the mask on and you're up there and you're watching and you would stop the belt when you saw something. I mean, uh, I, like I said, I hate to be graphic, but um, a body, there was a, a complete body that came out. Um, it was flattened. And, you know, they stop and it's like, they have like a ceremony at the time. Mm. And Jimmy Luongo was an inspector at the time, and he ran it up. He retired as a chief. Great guy. He ran that that landfill. Like, it was safe to us, it was sacred ground no matter what. We would not allow, on my watch, there was no pictures being taken. If firefighters wanted to come up that were from the houses and they wanted to go to the trucks that we had, all the trucks were brought up there that you saw down at uh, Ground Zero. The trucks were brought up there. And they, they, this was sacred ground to us. So we didn't want people putting pictures out there of what we saw because this is somebody's family, right? There were body parts that were recovered. There was jewelry that was recovered that they put into, into – it was all broken down. But it was 
gone through as methodically as possible. Wow. All right. And people were getting sick up there, you know, and, you know, the smell, you'll never get over the smell of it. That was up there. It was just a smell like you never smelled like this before. It was unbelievable. And I've smelled death before, but this was different. This was very different. And we worked at, um, until I retired, all right, I, I worked at the landfill, and then everybody else carried on afterwards. But the things we saw at that landfill were just unbelievable, unbelievable. I've never thought of that before. I never thought, never considered that that was a thing that was even done. But, but, but yeah, and, and I think of all the things you found, right? even just IDs. Right or whatever papers even that somehow made it, just things, things that made it, and you had to sort catalog things that we couldn't even, we couldn't even comprehend some of the things that we saw, like a uniform that was buttoned up in the front and blown out the back, like the Hulk wore it, and it was somebody was wearing that uniform and they were just pulverized. All right, and that's the whole thing. You know, it's and then there's the other, the other side of a, of what people saw. I mean, I mean they, people ask you. We go every year, and they ask us the same questions when we go to the 9/11 screening, um, and they want to know. You know, of, of course, you know, it's a, it's a great it's a great funding. All right, and I I pray that Congress keeps it going because everybody needs it. And it's not just the first responders; everybody that was down there in that area. That was all toxic waste. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. All right, they lied to us. They told us the air quality was was good down there. They they lied. It, it wasn't good quality. There was nothing good about the air quality down at Ground Zero. And then the same stuff was brought up to the landfill. So they took the precautions. Once you're up there, you wore the Tyvek suits, you wore the mask, and you know a lot of people got you know injured up there as well. But the things that you know you see along your career, and you say, wow. You know, I saw this, I saw that. And sometimes we go, hey, remember this, remember that? When it comes to 9-11, you know, it's just like you keep it in your mind. And you only speak about it to the people that were there, you know. And it's like uh, what I just told you about that uniform, that sticks in my mind. You know, and it's, you know, we found uh, engagement rings. We found uh, there was so much stuff that was recovered and we tried to get back to everybody. IDs, all right? And it was just amazing the way this was handled up there. Uh, I mean, if they ever do a documentary, they should do it on what the efforts were up at that landfill. Yes, that's a part of the story I've never heard of, never contemplated, never conceived of. It's amazing. Uh, Joe Cardinale. Uh, Joe, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you for your service. Thank you for sharing with us these stories. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share this. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to our September 11th edition of Breitbart News Daily. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the New Hampshire, excuse me, not New Hampshire, New Mexico, New, pa- New Mexico governor saying, you know what, that Second Amendment, I don't, uh, I don't feel like it anymore. She's, she's like, a, it's like I'm done with it. I don't want to do it. So we'll talk about that. And then also, Joe in Vietnam. No bueno. Not good. And it's just a matter of time before it's out. It's done. And they just, Joe can't run for president again. Give me a break. Has to happen. The only question is when. So chat more about that tomorrow as well. Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.